everybody welcome to week two of the MLB season and right now we got Nick Rob and Danny with you bringing to you what happened in the last few days man yo Rob Nick how you guys doing what's going on man what's going on I'm, I'm doing good you know just ready here another week of baseball is down and we definitely got some good topics to talk about yeah, man, I'm doing great. This has been a great week to watch. We got some incredible performances. I went to Giants home opener, and I got I got just even more pumped. So, yeah, great week of baseball. Can't wait to talk about it. I'm glad we've been mentioning the word great, because you know what? Let's start off with something that was great. And in the Kimik Matumbo fashion, Joe Musgrove goes, no, 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 and pitches the first shutout, the first no-hitter of the 2021 season. I've been watching too many Geico commercials, so I apologize. But anyway, man, look, I'll kick it right back to you, Nick. I know, you're, like I said, you're a pitching guy here, man. But, yo, did you catch the Musgrove no-no? Like, that was, it was pretty good. Granted, it wasn't against a great team, but, yo, man, what what did you see in Joe Musgrove? I know you've been kind of a fan of him since he's kind of been bouncing around. Yo, did I catch it? I caught it like I was the catcher. I thought I like, like I was Carantini catching the last two no-hitters in the row. That thing was awesome. And yes, I have been a Musgrove fan for a minute ever since he got traded to the Pirates. Man, this cat is good and he's only getting better. I watched it three times, not going to lie, because the first time I wasn't sure that a Padre threw it. Then I wasn't sure that Joe Musgrove threw it. Then I just watched it to watch it. I've literally watched that game three times. It is absolutely amazing. The stats, 122 pitches, 72 strikes, 10 strikeouts, 10 ground outs. Three flyouts, four line driveouts. He struck out hitters in the first, all the way through the seventh. In the eighth and ninth, he had no strikeouts. That's fine. But man, this guy dominated. And he's always looked really good. But he just looked, eh. he's not a command guy. He's not going to put the ball exactly where he wants every time. But he is a control guy. And what I mean by that is he's going to put it on the side of the plate or in the up and down zone that he wants it. He's not going to be on the black every time. He's going to find quadrants. And this game, he found his quadrants. The crazy part, he only threw his fastball 16% of the or sorry, yeah, 16% of the time. And he averaged 93.4 with the fastball. It's absolutely insane what he did. His pitch mix was nuts. His fastball was his fourth most used pitch. His most used pitch was a slider followed by his cutter followed by his curveball and he even added in his changeup, which is not that good. But he had everything going. When you go and look at all the stats, it's amazing. You go and watch the game, it, it's like it's almost like he knew he was going to do it the entire way through. He was so calm, so collective. The only blemish was a hit by pitch against Joey Gallo. That was the only blemish. And the only guy he didn't strike out was their center fielder. And I don't remember his name. I'm sorry. But, man, Musgrove shoved. It was so much fun to watch. And... To watch a no-hitter go that smoothly was absolutely awesome. Hats off to him. I'm glad he's got it under his belt. And he just threw himself into the face of all of baseball where he should have been for a long time. And I think he's going to be there all year because this cat is really, really good. He has been for a while. And he's going to be on a team that's going to give him some runs and really let him relax. 
Look out for Joe Musgrove this year. What a fun game to watch. And three times wasn't enough. I might watch it again tonight. Yo, Rob, I'll kick this over to you because it's something that we kind of discussed on the website. And I, you know, I personally don't know where I sit on it because the Padres have such great talent, but it, it kind of came up on the site of whether or not Musgrove would be in the, in the, in the rotation for the Padres next year. Not, look, obviously coming off a no, no, everyone's going to be like, yeah, there's no way this guy's not on the rotation. But when you look at what they have, Musgrove's not the top guy. And maybe, maybe that changes, right? We're, we're, we're in a new season. He has, he has some pretty good talent, right? He's always been a good arm. But look, what do you think his outlook is for for next year? Remember, next year we have guys like Clevenger coming back, and you Darvish is still going to be there. And Mackenzie Gore, which at this point sounds like you know a, a miracle because no one's seen him, even though he's like the top prospect. But anyway, man, what, what, what do you see with Joe Musgrove going forward? Is this, is this guy there to stay with the Padres? Is he a part of their World Series hopes? Well, I'll tell you this. I think after you throw a no-hitter, your your outlook is definitely looking a lot better. Um, you know, I think the interesting thing with, with Joe Mosgrove is that he he only missed a perfect game because of a hit batsman. So it wasn't even like he gave up a walk. Um, the dude was just on it. I think, you know, I was telling people, this dude is talented. There's a reason why this guy was part of that trade package to Pittsburgh for Garrett Cole. You're not just any normal prospect if you're out here getting traded for Garrett Cole. Granted, it's not the same Garrett Cole that he is now, but still a pretty good version of Garrett Cole that Pittsburgh was holding on to. And so we knew the talent was there. He was he was also just, you know, frankly stuck in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is unfortunately one of those baseball franchises who goes through way too many rebuilding periods. So it's not like he was being backed up by like, you know, any elite talent or anything like that. Now he gets sent over to San Diego where they probably do have hopes of a World Series at some point within these next couple years here. And you know what? He's he's putting up the numbers and it's 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 going to get to a point where he's probably going to make San Diego have to make some very tough decisions. I pretty much look at it this way. I think if I'm going to take a guy to get traded out of San Diego, it's probably going to be you Darvish at some point. Um, that would, That's just the guy that I would look to move. I'm not paying too much attention to Mackenzie Gore yet because you still have him down in the minors, even though I do think you probably have to bring him up at some point within the next two seasons here. Um, but I think, look, Mike Clevenger, he's coming back, right? But he's coming back from being injured, which means he has a chance to get re-injured. You just never know with him. It could lead to to a guy like Mackenzie Gore being called up a lot earlier. But like I said, if I had to pick a guy to drop out of there, it'd probably be a guy like Chris Paddock, right? I don't think Chris Paddock works in the long-term plans of San Diego compared to other guys. I think Joe Mosgrove is is showing that, right? He just came in and threw a no-hitter at his second start of the year, and I think he's he, look, he's that talent. He's that he's that type of talent from San Diego. He could probably be their number three guy, honestly. He, he I think he's honestly that good and he's gonna show that this season. And you know, for, for San Diego, look, they're not in a bad spot. I said it. They they have seven legit starters. Whether you're looking at Clevenger, Darvish, Snell, Lamette, uh, Gore, Mosgrove, Paddock, like you love it. You love to have an abundance of pitching. It's look, when you have to make tough decisions like that. It's tough, but you love to be in those situations because San Diego is in a very good spot to contend um, if they keep getting performances like this. And I don't know if you guys saw, 
but his family actually owns a coffee shop out in San Diego. And there was like this whole article that got written up because apparently they've been seeing a crazy boom in their business ever since he threw that no hitter. So San Diego Padres fans have been hitting up that coffee shop heavy. Um, and yeah, so he, he's bringing success, success to himself on the baseball field, but also to his family off it. So like, that's great to hear as well for him. It's a crazy story, man. Like, whenever there's something like this, right, a no-no, which doesn't happen often, obviously. That's why it's so special. But you have some of the great pitchers that have thrown no-nos before, right? Um, you know, Justin Verlander comes to mind right off the top of my head, right? He's, he's someone who's, who's had a no-no in his career. Um, and then you think of guys, and this is just my thing, right? Guys like Dallas Braden, who threw a perfect game, and never to be heard from again, right? That was, like, his top-achieving moment and then he was like an underwhelming analyst on ESPN's baseball tonight for a while. I so, love when he yelled at A-Rod. That was pretty cool too. Ah, yeah, I was a Yankee fan, so I, re- I didn't really care for that at that moment in time. But <laughs> well look, I I'll say I'll say this though. Like we it's not a wait and see game so much with Joe Musgrove, right? I think he is a good pitcher. Uh, there's a reason why he he did get traded for for Garrett Cole, who everyone has always known the talent level that he has, even though he hadn't produced at that level. You know, with Joe, it's really going to be about finding a fit and being hot at the right time. I mean, it's a long season. It's a really long season. You know, Chris Paddock, even though he hasn't been what he, he came out his rookie year as being right, he hasn't really developed past that. He's kind of been stuck in that limbo. You can argue some of the talents there, right? Some of the stuff that, that put him there is still there. Um, it's going to be convoluted at the top. We mentioned how great you Darvish is and how he's been the last couple of years, especially since coming back from that injury. It, it's it's going to be fun to watch, man. It's going to be interesting to watch. I wish the best for Joe Musgrove and his, and his uh, coffee-drinking family. I don't believe in caffeine unless it's an alcohol, so I'll leave that at that. Let's move on to our next big story, though. And this one, it's not really that, that big of a story. It was just something that was amazing to watch, man. And that was that was Shane Bieber against Giolito. And this happened a couple days ago. And, oh, man, what a watch. The definition of a pitcher's duel where – Bieber went nine innings. Giolito went seven. Neither of them allowed a run throughout the game. The, the, the final score was 2-0. But, wow. These are two guys who are front runners for the AL side. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't really do an award show uh, this season, and that was due to time constraints. But before the season started, Giolito was – he was at least my uh, AL Central division, uh, AL Central side, yeah. And I have him as well the front runners for the AL side in itself. So watching a pitch like he now is, is great. Bieber won it last year. Crazy numbers. So, Rob, I'll kick it back to you because I know you posted about this about this game and how great this game was, man. What did you see out there? Yeah, man. It was – look, like you said, it, it was, it was a, a pitcher's duel. It's the type of duel that you, that you love to see. I think both guys were out there just, you know, pitching really well. And the thing with me is – the reason why I pay attention to every time we talk about Shane Bieber, Lucas Giolito, Shane Bieber, Lucas Giolito, the reason why I pay so close attention to it is because, like you said, these are two guys who let's assume let's assume that they remain in their current situations with the Cleveland Indians and the and the Chicago White Sox, respectively. These are two guys who are probably gonna be in the in the Cy Young conversation for the next six, seven, eight seasons. And they're gonna be in the Cy Young conversation facing each other consistently. These are two aces to their staffs and it's probably gonna remain that way, to be honest. I mean look, Bieber's out here 
looking crazy defending his Cy Young title. Like, yes, I have my personal opinions about a, <clears throat> excuse me, a 60 game season Cy Young, but it is what it is. He's defending his title. Lucas Giolito's out here trying to capture it. But you know what? Even if you kind of expand the focus a little bit past just these two guys, man, pay attention to the AL. I thought I thought coming into the season that the NL Cy Young race was going to be crazy. And while, while that still might be the case, look at the potential AL Cy Young race if, if the numbers kind of hold up throughout the entire season. I mean, look, you have the three front runners in the preseason front runners in Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber, Lucas Giolito, right? They're posting insane numbers. You have Ryu out in Toronto posting insane numbers. You have Barrios in Minnesota posting great numbers. You have Tyler Glass now in Tampa Bay posting great numbers. I mean, this race can get all out crazy. But yeah, like we said, it it does have a little bit of, of a nucleus, right? Right there in that AL Central with Shane Bieber with a defending AL Cy Young. Um, and Lucas Giolito joins him right there as that elite talent. And I think, look, this is the type of game where I'm going to be tuned in the same way that we're tuned in to like a potential like DeGrom Kershaw matchup, DeGrom Cole, Scherzer, Kershaw, like all those elite pitching matchups. Bieber and Giolito are joining that list right there, and I can't wait to see them duel it out again. I love it, man. I love you. Nick, I'll kick this to you. There's there's a few aces in the IL Central right now, right? There's Jose Barrios. You can argue that May is an ace there. Out of all those guys, first of all, are these two guys, right, and Bieber and Giolito, the two top guys that you would want to watch face each other? And if not, who are the two guys in the Central that you would want to see? So real quick on the game, oh, my God. I've only watched the quick recap because I didn't realize how close this was, and there was a lot of baseball to catch up on yesterday. But, I mean, Bieber went nine innings, three hits, one walk, 11 strikeouts. Giolito went seven innings, three hits, two walks, eight strikeouts. Uh, that Giolito start was pretty dominant, and Bieber was better. It's just amazing. Like, the game, the quick recap, looking at the stats, I, I am going to go back and watch this whole thing. Uh, to the question of who are the two guys I want to see face off, as much as these two guys are impressive, and I have been off the Giolito bandwagon literally always. I still think he's going to fall at some point, and he keeps proving me wrong, which good for you, Lucas. Good for you. Keep proving me wrong. Keep, keep proving everybody wrong. Keep dominating and making this game so fun to watch. You're a short-arming guy that shouldn't be doing this, and you are, so awesome. Bieber, to Rob's point, he is defending his Cy Young just to show you, like, nah, like, that wasn't a joke. That was really what it was. I'm not getting a half a Cy Young. I'm going to get a full Cy Young because I'm going to back it up with another one. This guy looks like what Kershaw was a few years ago. Like, this this guy just looks absolutely dominant. It's crazy. But if I want to watch two guys pitch right now, it's still Garrett Cole and it's still Tyler Glass now. I Those are the two guys I want to see go head-to-head. And to Rob's point of the AL Central kind of being like the focal point of pitching – Maybe we need to – because most of the time when we talk baseball and we talk about good teams, we talk offense. Maybe the pitching in this division is so good that the offense is deflated a little bit. I know it's a stretch. I know it's a hot take. But let's be real. The Cleveland Indians staff is absolutely dominant, and it has been for a very, very, very long time. So we really, really, really need to look at what this is all about in the Central 
and Bieber is one of the big characters of it. But if I'm going to watch two pitchers go at it in the AL, it's going to be Glasnow and Cole. Yeah, I think I think most people will say that, man. And and with the AL Central itself, the what's it called? The the Indians have a great team, man. They have they have a great rotation. We talked about it earlier. But I will say this on behalf of all of MLB, the usually the pitchers are in front of the hitters, just because it's typically easier to, to throw the ball and, and have those mechanics going as you know, instead of seeing ninety-eight come at you daily, right? You're not doing it as often, at least not seeing the breaking stuff also. So for all those teams that are starting a little slow offensively, I always say, look, month and a half in, that, that's when you start worrying, right? Right now, it's kind of like just get the wins you can get, but you know you're not at full strength. If you're, if you're someone who started off hot, awesome. But in baseball, the law of averages plays better than any sport out there. So don't get too crazy, which Rob will tell you we're like, three games into a 99 billion game season. So relax out there. Yeah. Pitching is always ahead of hitting always. Absolutely, man. Look, and so, so let's go to, to the next one. And this is, this is a pretty big one in the future, but we're going to stay on really, it's going to be really quick with this one. Right. So, so the MLB is proposing a couple of rule changes and it's not going to be it for the MLB. It's going to be for the Atlantic league. And the two rule changes are first moving the mound back by foot which it hasn't been moved since, like, what, the 1800s or something like that? I'm bad at math, but basically uh, they, they did the math on MLB Central this morning, and a 90, like, 4-mile-per-hour fastball would be, like, a 91-and-a-half-mile-per-hour fastball. So at least from the perception from the hitter, right? That, that's what they mean by that. So it, you would think it helps the hitter. And then the other one, which is, is kind of unique, and, and because it's uniqueness, I, I don't know if I, if I don't like it. But it's called the double hook. Essentially, that's what they're calling it. And it's when one team's starting pitcher is replaced, then the pitching spot takes over for the DH spot in the batting order, which essentially means that from that point on, that team would either have to use a pinch hitter or let that relief hitter, like, I mean, that relief pitcher hit. So, man, look, I'll, I'll, kick, I'll stick with you, Nick. What do you think about these rules, man? And it's, you know, it's not crazy. So just, just, just real quick about these. So since you said to make it quick, if we had a soundboard that had a toilet sound, I would put this in that and just make that sound. Uh, do not change the physical dimensions of baseball. That's it. Just don't. It's been this way for over a century. Don't change the physical dimensions. I understand what you're trying to do. It's the wrong way to do it. Guys are getting better. They're throwing faster. Fucking deal with it. Guys, hitters are also bigger, stronger, with better hand-eye coordination, better training, so they can adjust to it. We have more home runs than we've ever had. We have higher scoring than we've ever had. The offense is not the problem. Pitchers throwing fast is not the problem. There's way other things, no way other ways to do this. As far as the double hook, I don't know either. I kind of like the idea, but I think it's going after the wrong group because if you're going to make the relief pitcher hit as opposed to the starting pitcher, I'm not sure that's the right move. I like the idea. I don't like the way it's going to be implemented. But as far as changing it, I just think as far as changing the dimensions of the field and moving the mound back one foot, I think they need to find a way to compensate and improve contact over home runs. That's the problem with MLB, in my opinion, is they're, they're, guys are getting paid for home runs. If somehow you figured a way to pay for base hits and average as opposed to home runs, that will fix the problem. 
You know, I'll say this, man. I think the one guy who does get paid for his contact is probably DJ Mayhew. You know, if, if you look at his contract compared to some of the other bigger ones out there and the way that they get their production, DJ Mayhew is probably the only one that's so contact-centric compared to some of the other guys. But and he, literally the only one until Juan Soto gets his contract. There you go, man. And you have some other guys that, that have been, you know, that look like they're going to be doing that in the future, but they're not, it's not contract time for them yet. Yo, Rob, look, same question to you, man. What was your first uh, initial thought when you saw these things? Yeah, so uh, I, I looked over them uh, quickly a, a few days ago. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm just going to be quick because I, you know, it, it is going to be taking place in the Atlantic league compared to, to the MLB. So it's not something that's going to be coming immediate here, but I think when you look at these changes, it just really, for me, the immediate reaction, it raises, it raises a lot of questions and they're kind of like all over the place, right? Like I was talking to Nick earlier about it and it's kind of like, I just quickly like think like, okay, does this raise injury risk for pitchers? Like, um, how is this going to impact, you know, contact for hitters, you know, because technically the assumption is that because you have, you know, more more space in between the pitcher and the hitter that the hitter could could possibly, you know, make better contact because he has more time. But yeah, I don't know. Like, is it going to lead for, to more walks for pitchers, you know, because more more distance to cover, you know, getting to the plate and things like that. So that might mess up location issues or things. Like, it's just it raises a lot of questions. Um, but like I said, it's something that's going to be experimented with in the Atlantic League. So we're going to see if it ever even makes it to the MLB. But I think one interesting thing to keep an eye on is that a lot of these changes that we're going to see mentioned in articles coming up, um, I did read somewhere that a lot of these changes are kind of being pushed um, through Theo Epstein. And as we all remember, he did make that change where he left the Cubs and he moved um, to a higher position um, working with the MLB. And he's, he, he even said himself that he's looking for ways to kind of make the game like more creative and things like that. So I think I think that this is probably just only a start. I think anytime the MLB is going to want to push some of these changes, it's going to go through this same system of kind of starting it off in the Atlantic League, seeing if it works, and then moving it over to the MLB. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see kind of what happens with this. But yeah, I think the Theo Epstein thing is definitely something to keep an eye on. Yo, real quick, uh, also, just to make sure everybody knows, the Atlantic League is independent in baseball, and there is no affiliation to MLB other than they bought them and said, hey, you're our bitches. And also, they're actually talking about putting that in in the middle of the season on August 3rd. So they're going to literally change what pitchers have to do in the middle of their season. They're not even talking about doing it next year. Crazy. It's nuts, man. Look, and, and anyone who has any experience with indie ball, it is a rough experience. There's a reason why we don't hear a lot of guys coming out of it. Like, there's been a handful, right? You, you have... You know, David Peralta is probably the most notable, but it is it is rough, man. Like you, they are the guinea pigs. Um, a lot of times they are the marketing team for for those clubs. So it is it, it is rough, man. But look, I, I don't like the I don't like the fact that we we're trying to change or, or move the pitching mound back. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, I think you're asking for injuries or you're doing it mid season too, which is which is kind of dumb. But we can we can keep the mound where it is. It's not like we have such overpowering in the pitching position or, you know, as pitchers that no hitters are making contact, right? If you're going to change any dimension on, on in baseball, make it the fences, right? We have more home runs. Hey, let's let's move the fences back a little bit. The outfielders today are more athletic than they've ever been, right? We have guys who could probably run track and play wide receiver you know, on a football team out there running around these things. So if you're going to change things, maybe think about changing that. Maybe make the fences taller. I don't know. But as far as the pitching mount, I think that's a dumb way to do it. You're asking for people to get hurt. You're asking for the game to change in a, in a larger way than you think it is. 
right? Just think about, um, you know, Gibson, when they had to raise the mound or they had to lower the mound, I mean, because he was dominating, right? This is that kind of same effect. So now you're doing it league-wide in a way that's going to, you know, you don't know how it's gonna help, how it's gonna hurt or help the game. So it's it's dangerous. And I, you know, I'm actually I, I am interested in DH one, man. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. Um, it's it's one of those things where it's it's interesting. I, I think it, it's good that it makes you utilize your entire bench in a different way. We definitely don't see it in the American League, right? We have a lot of guys who just sit on the bench. Maybe it it makes it so that we expand roster spots, make some at bats more um, crucial. You know, we always mention if you could put. David Ortiz, whenever his and a bat came, like, hey, just put him in that spot. You would want to do that. So maybe this kind of helps in that way. I don't really know. But at the very least, it's interesting, man. All right, let's move on from our top stories. And let's go to today's events, man. Look, some guys this season have gone off to an incredible start, right? We're two weeks in. Some guys have been absolutely insane. So what we're going to do today, we're going to play a little bit by yourself. And essentially, you know, if – we're going to put a number out there uh, based on what we've been seeing so far and you either buy that their number is going to be better or sell that they're, that, that, you know, the floor is coming and that they're just living in, in La La Land. So, you know, the first guy we want to start off with is a dude who's been pitching out of his mind since last season. And he actually just did something that hasn't been done over a century today. And that's, that's Corbin Burns. He has been absolutely filthy. The last time I checked, which was before I start today, his his whip was at 0.16. That is stupid. That is that is that is ridiculous. So we're gonna start with him, man. And the the way we did this, or the way I did this, is basically we looked at some of the stats in their in their past, and and you know as a guideline to what the number should be. So for Corbin Burns, I use the ERA metric here, man. So for Corbin Burns, by yourself, he finishes the season with a 2.50 ERA. I will start with you, Rob. Okay, quick question. When you're saying buy or sell, do you mean do you mean in the sense of uh, like the two point five? I can't go like over under. Well, like so it needs to be like exactly the two point five. No, no. So if it's over, you're buying basically. Okay. All right. So two point five. Oh, I'm sorry. If it's under. If it's under for ERA. If it's under, you're buying. Okay, then I'm yeah, then I'm gonna buy. I'm I'm gonna buy as much stock on Corbin Burns as I can buy right now, um, because he is just gonna be flaming hot for for Milwaukee right now. And I don't know if you guys saw that stat that I posted earlier, but it was it was a stat saying that Corbin Burns was the first guy to have 30 strikeouts with zero walks in his first three starts since 1906. And that is one of the most disgusting stats that I have seen recently <laughs> regarding a pitcher or a baseball player in general. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to be buying as much stock as possible right now. Side question, and I'm saying with you, Rob, do you think he gets over 100 innings this year? He's never done it before in his career. Yeah, I think he will because, uh, you know, he did start with Milwaukee as a reliever, but I think he did make a good transition over as a as a starter last year um he did you know he pitched essentially 60 innings last year in the in the shortened season so i think 100 is not out of the question especially the way he's been looking to start off this year all right man y'all kick to you i'll kick it over to you nick by yourself he's gonna have uh, a 2.5 era or under i hate to do this but i'm going to sell only because 2.5 is so hard and I do think he's going to go over 100 innings. I think he's going to go much over 100 innings. I've actually, I think he's going to go like 180. Um, he is really good. 
But even at 180 innings, it doesn't take much of a bad start and just an accidental start to blow your ERA up, even over a full year. Um, there was uh, I, the, one of the few podcasts I listened to baseball wise outside of our own is uh, they had him at, I think it was like 4,000 to one for him to win the NL Cy Young. And I'm really wishing I might have taken that bet right now and put a hundred bucks on it just, just in case. But to Rob's point, that 30 to zero strikeout to walk, that is insane. The skills are there. The fastball is insane. He's got the size to stay healthy. My only thing is it's, it's so easy to have one bad start and blow it up. And in the park that he pitches in in Milwaukee, which is a hitter friendly park, it's it's just if you if you say give me one start that he doesn't get to count, I would give you a two point two ERA if you can just take out one start of the year. But so I'm selling the two point five over the whole year because it's only gonna take one start to go above that. But this guy is dominant. He might be the NL Cy Young, and anybody who put money on him is gonna be a very very rich person. Oof! And you already said that you you have him going over hundred innings. Look, man, I am selling this. And it's not because I have anything in Corbin Burns. I think his talent is, is is really good. He he has a top arm in baseball, and that's very noticeable. But things change once the innings start going up, right? Like, he – the one thing as a pitcher, and we see this from bullpen guys all the time, there's a reason why bullpen guys typically have a shorter shelf life, you know, as, as far as really good ones as being elite. And that's because the more you see their stuff, the harder it is for, for, for them to keep getting guys out the same way. So if Corbin Burns – you know, Rob mentioned it. He's, he's been coming out of the bullpen, right? That's a whole different game. There's a lot less tape on him than there would be on other guys, right? His game plan changes, right? He's not just pumping fastballs now. He has other stuff that he's throwing. But the reason why I'm selling also is just, dude, this is the second week of the season. And, you know, Nick also just said how pitching's always in front of the hitting. Look, they're facing, he, the, the other day he, played, he faced a, a Cubs team which has been atrocious. I'm talking about guys like Javi Baez, you know, Matt Bryan, um, Anthony Rizzo, all these guys not being able to, to to hit the baseball right now, basically. And he's he's playing the he's playing the, the in what's called the NL Central. If there's one thing that team that the NL Central has aside from the Pirates, is offenses that can can get the job done, right? So he's going to be facing Chicago again, probably when they're not in this deep slump. He's going to be playing teams like the Cincinnati Reds, who are absolutely on fire right now, right? So, I don't know. 2.5 is, is hard to do. I mean, we, we don't see it too often. He has a talent. Um, as far as getting to 100 innings, that's also a tough one for me, man. I you know I, I, I don't wish injuries on anybody. That's the one thing I don't do. But the Brewers are a lot like some of these other teams who are very bullpen dependent. And as the year goes on, he might miss a start or two. It usually happens, right? There's not many pitchers that finish all 33 starts. A lot of guys, you know, end up in that 20 to 25 range. So does he get to 100 innings? I don't know. I, I think it will be close. Actually, you know, I think he does get over, but not by much. But I see that ERA going up. And, and not even just because I don't think the talent's there. It's just this rate right now is ridiculous, right? And if he keeps this, then sign him up for the best season of all time because it is, it is insane. All right, man, look, let's move on to our next guy, man. This is Ramon Lariano. This was pretty straightforward. You know, buy or sell that he reaches 22 stolen bases. Right now he has eight, which is kind of a crazy pace, right? So it, it was hard uh, gauging a number with this because he's on pace to have over 100. 
but he's never had more than 13 in his career. So I'll start it with you, Nick. Do you think Ramon Laureano gets more than 22 stolen bases by yourself? Uh, absolute sell because the A's won't let him play enough to get that much because his arbitration will go up and they're cheap. All right. That, that's pretty, that's pretty straightforward. I would answer, man. Yo, uh, Rob, what about you, buddy? Yeah, I'm, de- I'm definitely going to sell on it as well. I think he only had like two, if I remember last season in a shortened year, even with the hot start at eight, I'm still going to sell. I think he's, he's probably going to fall off at some point, honestly. I'm going to go by and it's just because I've seen the A's play this year. And they are not looking like the A's that we're used to. They have to manufacture runs this year. So when Lariano's on base, it's like, hey, we have to create something, right? We need to, we need to try to hit a run here, which is pretty much dead in today's game of baseball. Or we have to try to generate offense some way. I think 22 is a is a pretty high number. We, we typically don't see many guys even reach 20 anymore, right? They don't even try 20 times anymore. But... If it's, if it's a need and it's a way to, to create runs for that team, which they're going to need runs, right? That pitching staff is amazing. Uh, our, our, our boy, uh, Jesus Lozardo, has been struggling a little bit. So I'm going to buy this based on just uh, pure optimism. Let's go let, Let's go to from one center fielder to the next, man. Byron Buxton has started off on fire. I, I mean literally on fire. He, his numbers are absolutely insane here. So... The number for Byron Buxton, we're gonna go with OPS. Buy or sell Byron Buxton feeling uh finishing with over an 850 OPS. Rob, I'll go to you. Uh you know what? Something was telling me to go buy, but I'm actually gonna go sell. And the only reason I'm gonna go sell is because even though it's a hot start for Byron Buxton, I think he I think if you look at his numbers, yeah, he's been, you know, he's kind of been raising his OPS recently. But he's also hasn't been healthy. Like we haven't seen like a full stretch from Byron Buxton yet where I can like say like that he'll have that. For, I mean, he might be able to to get it if he only – if he plays like – look, if he plays like 70 or 80 games and is around that, like sure. But, you know, I'd, I'd rather see like 130, 140 from Byron Buxton, a full healthy season of him at that pace. But right now, if, if you're asking me a full year of Byron Buxton at the 850, I'm going to have to sell. All right, man. Nick, I'll go to you. Yeah, I'm going to pull the Contra cheat code on this one and kind of shadow Rob. Uh, I'm going to buy it because I think he's going to get injured and not play enough games to bring it down. But if he plays the full season, he is so streaky. There's, I don't think there's any chance he hits over a 50 OPS. But unfortunately, I think he's going to stay real high and he's going to get hurt for this season. I hate to say it because I don't wish that upon anybody. Um, to your point, but yeah, I, I see him getting hurt, but with his OPS being over 850. All right, man. Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy this. I, I'm gonna buy this basically just because he's been close to it before, and he was actually he finished the top 20 MVP voting a couple years ago. He finished that uh, at the 16 spot, but the closest he's gotten to it before, he's been at 844. He's been at 827, which you know it's pretty close to it, right? And in those seasons, he actually he didn't play a hundred games. So, you know, kind of based on what you guys are saying, as far as you know, him being him not being healthy enough to to you know lower it. I don't know. He looks different this year, though. I'm not gonna lie. He looked like he put on some some man weight, right? Like you know when when you go from I'm a teenager and I got like linguini arms to holy shit, this guy this guy hit the gym once. 
He's kind of gone through that transformation. I don't know if that's going to keep him on the field or not, but he looks a lot better swinging the bat right now. He looks a lot more comfortable just running and stuff like that than he did before. He's not just this stringy athlete anymore. He actually looks like he put some some actual weight on. So we we will see, man. I got, I got, I got the over, but again, I'm just an optimist. So especially Byron Bucks. I love Byron Bucks. All right, man. Look, our next guy is J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez has started off on fire. He has 16 RBIs right now. But what we're going to calculate is his home runs. The reason why we're doing this is because the number is 40, right? Buy yourself 40 home runs from J.D. Martinez. And the reason for that is because he's had he's had a couple of seasons above 40 that haven't been ridiculously over 40. And he's coming he's coming into his new season on fire, right? Last year was kind of a downy for him. So, Nick, I'll stay, for, I'll stay with you. Buy yourself J.D. Martinez reaches 40 home runs this year. Yeah, I think he absolutely gets it. He's on fire. His contract is almost untradeable. It's not quite. But he's going to go to a contender, and if he's that hot, he's going to be right in the middle of the lineup, and he's going to be in a lineup, if he gets traded, that's going to have protection behind him, so he's still going to see it. And he's not that streaky of a hitter. He had an off year last year. I see him hitting over 40. I think he might push 50. Oh, wow, nice. I, I can see it happening. He, like I said, I love him as a hitter. Last, last year wasn't really um, showing up what he can do. Rob, I'll go to you, dude. Over, under 40. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely gonna buy on on JD as well. I think he's definitely gonna be over 40. This is gonna be the season that JD kind of bounces back, and I think again, yeah, Red Sox definitely should look to to move him to a contender. And like Nick said, he's gonna be in the middle of probably a pretty good lineup, and he's definitely gonna add to those numbers. So definitely gonna buy on JD hitting over 40. I'm buying too. He's too good of a hitter. I am, I, I am, you know, I love J.D. Martinez, man. I really did wish there was not a chance where we could get him in the Yankee lineup. I know that's not that's not happening just because, one, we're already stacked with guys who can't play the field. God, that's awful to watch. And then, you know, the fact he plays for the Red Sox, they usually don't make trades like that unless you're shipping over uh, Adam Adovino. All right, man, look, next guy, this one's a little bit, this one's going to be one that I don't know if I'm going to buy. But Jake Cronenworth right now leads the MLB in hits, and – He's been doing pretty well, man. Look, he came up last year, and he's kind of like that hidden person in the Padres stack lineup. So, yo, Nick, I'll go to you, man. Jake Cronenworth, I know you kind of liked him last year. Over, under, I mean, buy yourself, he gets 200 hits this year. I'm going to buy it just out of pure optimism because he plays everywhere, and he's on a team that's going to bit play him everywhere. And there's so many stars around him, he's still going to go under the radar, which is crazy. Um, but I think he gets enough at bats because of where he plays. And if he stays like this, I mean, he's hitting 368. That's not going to stick. But you don't need to hit 360. You don't need to hit 368 when you get, you know, 650 plate appearances to hit 200. So I'm going to buy this. I think he gets there just because of his utility and on a team that's going to play him everywhere. He's going to be the one guy that doesn't get the day off because he's given everybody else the day off. There you go, man. Look, I, I, I love it. Plus, look, he's hidden. Nobody, look, no one's scared of Jake Cronenworth when they have all those other monsters in that lineup. Rob, I'll go exactly. to you, man. Buy yourself. Yeah, I think I'm definitely gonna buy on this one. Um, I think you know what? I think this is this is a talented guy who's definitely gonna get his opportunities out there to hit. He's he's surrounded by talent in that lineup, but I think you know when you have guys like Fernando Tatis Jr. who have superstar talent, but you don't know if they're always gonna be around. You know, injury wise. I think Jake. I think honestly, I think he's gonna find himself in a in a in a DJ Lemayhu kind of situation, right? Where 
I think if you actually look at the, at the way San Diego is looking right now, they might look like they're kind of like clogged up at certain positions. But I think he's just going to make it to a point where like he has to consistently be out there playing for them. So I think he's definitely got a real shot. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to buy. Yeah, he's one of the clogs at every position. All right, man. I'm, I'm actually going to be the one person that sells this on this one. And it's not because I don't like Jake Cronenworth. It's just because 200 hits is hard, right? We don't see it too often. We, you know, we see it usually with, with some of the great hitters. Like Ichiro did it a, a, couple, a, few, a ton of times in his career. Uh, I believe Jeter did it a few times too, but it, it's hard to get to, right? He's gonna he's gonna be playing, but eventually, if you start getting hits like that, you do get you know people do start paying attention to you a little bit, and just in today's game where we try to force a home run, maybe his approach changes. I don't know, but I'm really hoping he does it. I, I love the fact that he's doing so well with them, but it's time to move on to our next guy, and this one, this one's hard to talk about just because he's he looks so good right now. And he's a lot of people's favorite right now for the AL Cy Young, and he was before the season even started. This dude has amazing talent, and we're talking about Tyler Glass now. And for this one, despite his amazing stats, the reason why I chose this is because it's indicative of what we believe his health will be like. So buy or sell a Tyler Glass that will reach 100 innings pitched this year. And just and just some kind of a back cursor on, on why this is so important. You know, he's been in the league since 2016. He's only been over 100 innings once in his career. Uh, the most starts he's had in the season is 13, and we're not counting the playoffs from, from last year and stuff like that. So, man, look, by yourself, Tyler Glass, I'm getting to 100 innings. I'll start with you, Nick. Oh, I'm buying the shit out of this. This is my AL Cy Young, Cy Young pick, not just out of the AL East, just overall. This guy made Rob have mad, mad rapper clapping going on, so I'm buying over 100 innings for sure on this one. All right, man. Yo, Rob, what about you, buddy? Yeah, no, it, it's a for sure buy for me. But, yeah, I mean, everyone knows the AL Cy Young winner is going to be Garrett Cole. But I think this is also the year that Tyler Glass now is going to have that kind of, of AL Cy Young worthy campaign. And honestly, just think it's also due to necessity, right? I think this is a, a kind of like show it year for him. Look, he is the official ace of that staff. Maybe last year we were like, is it Glasnow? Is it Snell? Is it Morton? This year, it for sure is Tyler Glasnow. He's definitely pitching like the ace right now. Even though I've always said, you know, he's he's the kind of guy that I always say is a little shaky. But hey, I hope he figures it out this year and shows everyone that he's ready to be that ace that Tampa Bay needs. All right. All right. Look, it, it's a weird situation just because... Look, health is a big concern, especially when you're a 6'8 dude of that size. Health, you have more body to take care of. The other aspect of this is that he played for the Rays. In, in his three starts so far this year, he's only accumulated he's like 19 innings. So if you average that out, that's about six innings a start, six innings and an out, you know, maybe. So I can see a situation where either injury and just – being part of the of the Rays kind of holds him back, but look, I'm rooting for this guy. Um, in before our before our page got taken down by Facebook, I actually wrote a a little thing on Tyler Glass on how I was excited that he was going to a Rays because I did believe in the talent. So you know, I'm hoping that he gets over the hundred innings, and you know, I, I think it will happen too, and, and it needs to happen. You trade away, you didn't trade away, but you trade away Blake's now and then. You let Charlie Morton go. Those are clocks there. Even though Brent Honeywell came in and 
pitched great his first time out. He's also a health. He's also a health concern, right? He's been injured for four straight years, so they're gonna need they're gonna need him to, to perform well. All right, man. Like this last one's kind of a joke, and it's kind of more just to talk about. But so so I'm not even buy or sell it. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go ahead and ask you guys, man. What did you what did you think about the controversial calls of the last week? Right, we had the ones with uh, what was it, Atlanta and Philadelphia, where Alec Baum tagged up and he didn't even touch home plate, but they, they called him safe. Even after replay clearly showed that he was he never touched home plate. Then there was the one in the Mets game where Michael Conforto, let's be honest, he stuck his elbow out there. there there's nothing more to be said about that. He, he stuck his elbow out there. That pitch was a strike. It was in the strike zone. And instead, walk off hit by pitch, man. So those were the two big notable ones. And I know there's been a lot more uh, so far this year. So, Yo, Rob, I'll start it with you, dude. What, yo, what is happening, and where do you think baseball should do about this stuff? Yeah, man. It's look honestly, it's been really, really bad to see so many just terrible calls because it's also not a situation where we're here looking back on the season, right? The season just started. <laughs> like, like there's been less than like twenty games played, and already there's been so many just terrible calls across games, and not even you. Yeah, sure, you have your your you're big, you know, like game enders and things like that. But man, you sit down and you actually watch some of these games and just look, okay, maybe not, you're not supposed to argue every, every ball or strike, but man, some of these strike calls that have been going on this year have just been crazy as well. And I look, it's been really bad. I just, I, I hope that it gets better, but for some reason I have a feeling that this season it will not. And it really just sucks watching some of these games because I didn't know that MOB's plan moving forward for their um, umpires was just to like clone a bunch of Angel Hernandez's and just put them out there like that. So like, I really hope that like at some point throughout this season, they kind of like figure it all out. Yo, Nick, same question. There's, uh, we don't have long enough. I'll try to make it quick. Uh, number one, just make it a social media vote if they're safe or out or striker ball. I mean, that, that's what it is at this point. It shouldn't even be up to umpires or review booth because of how bad these have been. Um, one thing that I want to call out on the Conforto thing, if the if the pitch is a strike, it overrides literally everything else. And the home plate umpire went to call it a strike. All that should have happened was one of the other guys on that field, one of the other umpires should have said, you started calling that a strike. Did you think it was a strike? Oh, you did? Okay. It doesn't matter what else happens. That is a strike. And what that means to me is the umpires are forgetting the rule book and they're just relying on instant replay now. My other takeaway is I love this game without instant replay. I see the desire for it and the benefits of it, but I love it more without instant replay. And I feel like there weren't as many controversial calls without instant replay. There were some big ones, but I feel like we're so much more focused on it now that there is instant replay. And when they get it wrong, especially this bad, just take instant replay away. It's it's not helping the game at all. It's bringing so much bad attention. Dude, these were bad. And I think what made them worse were that these were game-deciding calls, right? Look, like, the play-at-home plate is the exact reason why you have have this kind of rule in place, right? Bro, God forbid this thing happened in Game 7 of the World Series. There would be riots, right? Like, it is, you know, you just can't have it, especially when it's one thing where, 
99.9 of the population saw and they can agree that dude was out. He never touched home plate. He still hasn't touched home plate. You know, and then with the one Conferto, like, come on, man. Like, we, I've had that call made in, in college where it was a no-brainer. Hey, you stuck your arm, you, you stuck your elbow out on a curveball. This thing was in the zone. That's a strike, right? And it wasn't a conversation. It wasn't a, oh, no, it was just, it was just that simple. Right, because that's because that's the rule at the end of the day, and to, to have these umpires and then have it compounded with the use of replay, making it that much worse, it can't happen. It just can't happen. Like, man, it's just it's just bad. And then, as far as like calling pitch and strikes, that's always going to be bad. As, as you know, it, it's it's human. I think the best thing you can do is at least be consistent. Right, I, I don't mind. I don't mind the strike zone necessarily being expanded a little bit as long as you're consistent with it. Right. If, if I'm a hitter and I know, hey, this guy's calling him off the plate, that's something I have to protect today, I can adjust to that, right? But I can't adjust to someone who's going to call that pitch a ball one at bat and a strike the next at bat, and then he's going to you know, bang me with a fastball inside next at bat. You know, you, you just can't have that. And I think that's the bigger issue. I, I don't want robo-bumps necessarily, right? Because I think there is a, a part of the game that, especially from the catcher side, where framing is so important and pitch presentation is so important. And I don't want baseball to lose that, right? Because this is what changes. It's the difference between a guy like Yadier Molina and a guy like Gary Sanchez, right? Who has notoriously been pretty bad at framing. So, you know, I, I like that nuance. But yeah, man, you guys gotta get it right. Like, you, you you can't get it right when you see when you slow it down. You're never gonna get it right, which is insane to me. All right, man. Look, let, let's get let's get some awards going. Let's go with your your, your AL Player of the Weeks. You got a couple of these guys, man. Yo, Rob, I'll start with you. Who were your AL Player of the Week? Yeah, so for me, the AL Players of the Weeks were definitely going to be J.D. Martinez. And uh, I also threw Shane Bieber in there. Shane Bieber had a just a flat-out great performance against against Lucas Giolito. I mean, like, like we said, he did – like those nine innings, three hits against the Chicago White Sox, and and again against a competitor like that, always great to see. JD Martinez just put up just stupid numbers, video game numbers to start off the season, so it's definitely well deserved for him as well. Nick, what about you, buddy? Yeah, so for me going forward, I'm going to do one hitter, one pitcher. Uh, I got Rafael Devers hitting 400, 500 OBP, a 1.65 uh, OPS, seven runs. Uh, five RBI or sorry, five home runs, 10 RBIs. That's just a studly week from him. Um, no shade to anybody else that's out there, but that was the most impressive offensive guy for me. Pitching wise, uh, Shane Bieber had two starts and dominated and just did absolutely insane last week, but I'm going to go Tyler Glass now, uh, 7.2 innings pitched, two hits, 14 strikeouts, one walk. Uh, he, he was my guy for Cy Young and I'm going to give him the props that he deserves for last week. All right, man. Not not bad off for me. I'm going to go Byron Buxton. He's playing out of his mind right now. Top five in the MLB right now as far as average and as far as home runs go, right? That's that's, that's pretty hard to do. Not a lot of guys do that. You know, usually one way or the other on those. And, and he's been killing it in that stacked lineup. Other guy I'm going to go with, it. you know, this isn't really someone that I would say, you know, necessarily deserves it crazily, but I love his last start. And that's Lance Lynn. Uh, so far, hasn't given a run this year. Has a, has a zero ERA whip under one. He's part of that White Sox team. Look, they're going to need him. They're, they they paid for him. They're going to need him to, to perform. And so far, so good, man. 
let's kick it to the NL side of things. Yo, Rob, who's your players of the week for the NL? Yeah, so for the NL, I went with Joe Mosgrove. Obviously, anytime you throw a no-hitter, you're definitely going to end up as as a player of the week. And I also went with Ronald Acuna Jr., who was also putting up video game numbers so much so that people are questioning whether he's the best player in baseball. And even though he might be playing as such, he is most definitely not yet. So we'll we'll, we'll see if, if, if Acuna Jr. gets there. But yeah, he definitely deserves the honor as well. What about you, Nick? Ditto. Joe Musgrove, no hitter. I've already given the stats, so I don't need to do that. Ronald Cunha Jr., 579 average, 625 on base percentage, 1.78 OPS. 10 runs. That's insane. 10 runs in a week. Two bombs, five RBI, and three stolen bases. To have more stolen bases than home runs in a week or any stretch of the year for a guy who is a power hitter hitting like that, uh, I don't think he's the best player in the game. But it is absolutely disgusting to see those numbers and not at least talk about them. I love it. I love it. Yeah, look, for me, it's going to be uh, Ronald Cunha Jr. as well. Just because I'm the ultimate Ronald Cunha Jr. fanboy, right? And I saw this I saw this tweet from, from a writer. He said, look, that the closest thing we have to Mike Trout in the MLB is Ronald Cunha Jr. And it might be time to start putting him in that same conversation with him. And my, my, my little heart just jumped a few beats when I, when I heard that because – I love Ronald Cunha Jr. Look, he, he's nowhere near offensively advanced as as Mike Trout is, right? Like, just the, the patience isn't there. Uh, the, the eye isn't there yet. But the talent level, man, this thing this thing is sick. I cannot wait to see how he, he can he continues to develop. This dude is still young as hell, by the way. He's still growing. And then the other guy I'm going to go with, and this wasn't on purpose. It just happens to be a pitcher. But Trevor Bauer has been lights out, man. And he was my pick for the NLSI Young this year. So I'm going to talk about him anytime I get the chance to because he I have a feeling he's going to go absolutely bananas, man. But let's go to our last portion. And Nick also – Wait, 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 Daniel, real quick. Sorry. So over. you literally just did not pick a guy who threw a no-hitter as the NL player of the week. I'm just making sure I heard that right. You know what? It was mentioned. We talked about it enough. I love Trevor Bauer, so we're going to do it. Right? Like, that's, <laughs> okay. that's what I'm going with. Like, Rob mentioned them. We had a whole segment on him. He's been mentioned enough, all right? He's, fair enough, fair he, enough. He'll be okay. I'm sure that his week is completely fine with him not being my, my player of the week. He'll get by. Today. No, he's mad as shit. He's going to throw another no-no. I hope he does. I hope he does. I think that'll be the first time in MLB history you go back-to-back no-nos. And there'll be more coffee being sold as parents' uh, coffee shops. So that'd be awesome. Yo, guys, game of the week. Choose one to talk about. Nick, what do you got? Oh, only one. That's not fair. That's really not fair. I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick Jacob Degrom anytime because I love watching him pitch. Uh, So if I'm picking one game, it's gonna be him. But I'm gonna cheat. Uh, I'm gonna give you the Dodgers versus the Padres are coming up for a full series. I mean, that's arguably the two best teams in baseball going at it. And I'm gonna go with Yankees and Tampa Bay to watch as well because the Tampa Bay Rays have the Yankees number. They're in their heads. I listen to John Boy Media talking Yanks, talking baseball, and the Yankees just seem to be absolutely petrified of the Rays, and they're facing three times uh, at home in New York. So those are the two series. But if I'm going to watch one game all week, it's going to be Jacob DeGrom, and it's probably going to be that every week of the year going forward. All right, man. Yo, Rob, what about you, buddy? What are you watching? 
Yeah, so I was going to say uh, San Diego and L.A., but the only reason I'm not going to say that, even though I probably still watch them, is because, you know, both teams are dealing with with injuries right now. And every time you have star players missing like that, you know, you kind of want both teams to be at full health. But, yeah, I'm going to agree and go with uh, Yankees-Tampa Bay uh, for the same reasons. I think Tampa Bay is playing New York really well, even though I've said before I think New York is the better team. They're definitely not playing like it right now. And, yeah, like it really feels like Tampa Bay is playing against the Yankees the way that the Twins play against the Yankees. Like, like you know, the Tampa Bay is treating the Yankees like that. Like, that they're the Yankees in that scenario. So, yeah, the Yankees got to kind of, like, figure it out because they're looking really bad right now. And, yeah, so that's why I'm going to be playing close attention to this series. Nice, man. Look, and, and for me, I can't watch Yankee baseball without puking my mouth a little bit. They are the worst fundamentally sound team I've seen in such a long time. And, you know, it, it was mentioned Aaron Boone has a family lineage of baseball and coaching. And his dad was a great coach. He was a catcher. His brother was a, was an all-star, you know, Aaron himself, you know what I mean? He, he has historic moments in MLB history. And to come in and put the product on the field that they have right now, and it's not, it's not about talent. It's, it's not about talent. It's about what they do day in and day out. They just don't look ready to play. I, I don't like watching them out there because they, look, they, they just look bad. They look disinterested. And the Rays are a better team right now. That's just what it is. The Rays are a better team than the Yankees at this point in time. And there's nothing that shows me that the Yankees are going to change that anytime soon. Right, they could they could go off next week and hit a billion home runs. That doesn't make them better than the Rays because they play such a bad form of baseball that I just can't watch it anymore. Like I, I'm gonna watch it. I'm a Yankee fan and I love them and I'm gonna cheer them on and shit. But it's such a bad brand of baseball that I'm not excited to watch it. Every team I've seen so far, even the Pirates, are better are are, are much more fundamentally sound than a team like the Yankees, and it's it's really to watch because the pieces are there. So after that, really uh, personal rant. Uh, my my game to watch is that my series to watch is going to be the Red Sox and Twins. Those are two those are two teams with like pretty poor pitching, in my opinion, pretty poor pitching, especially on the Red Sox side. So you're going to see nothing but bombs. Uh, at least that's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting bombs after bomb after bomb. That Red Sox lineup is on fire. They should be good enough to handle anybody that Twins throw at them, including Barrios. And on the Twins side. I, I know literally teams that could probably hit off the, the Red Sox. So you, you throw in that supercharged Twins lineup, and I expect some good things coming from coming from them. Expect expect at least one 20, 20 run ball game is what I'm gonna say there. So if you like offense, that's probably the, the series to watch, man. But hey, man, look, closing time. Nick, Rob, what is something you guys are looking forward to next week? It can be absolutely anything. I know, I know Nick is just waiting for every DeGrom start so he can just sit in front of TV like a kid at Christmas. But, yo, so Nick, I'll start with you, man. What are you excited for next week? What's something you're going to be watching out for? I'm just excited literally for every game of baseball. I was pumped to watch opening day, and then I went to the Giants home opener, and I got even more pumped to watch as much baseball as possible. Um, but not necessarily from looking for next week, but just kind of something I came across today. The Astros placed five players on the IL, and uh, Alex Bregman, Jose Atuve, and Jordan Alvarez were part of those five. Uh, we talked last week about is this the best team in the AL, and I see excuses coming all over the place for why they may, might start sucking. So that is very interesting to me. Very, very interesting to see that that happened. Those are three big names on that offense that are going down, and I just see that team going downhill. 
There you go, man. Yo, Rob, what about you? Look, man, I, I honestly don't have anything specifically that I'm looking forward to next week, but I will say, and, and you guys can add on to this to go out here on a high note, that if I am going to be looking forward to something, it's going to be more games of baseball next week so that Yadier Molina can keep adding to his total of games caught. For those that missed it today, Yadier Molina got to 2,000 games caught in his career with just one franchise, the only player to reach 2,000 with just one team. And look, if we're going to be honest here, if he avoids injury, he's probably going to be fourth all time in games caught at the end of this year. He only needs 57 more to pass both Jason Kendall for fifth and Gary Carter for fourth. And then if he decides to play next season, he could finish second all time. I don't know how much longer he plans to play, but I do think that he could eventually finish as second all time on that list. And we could be sitting here and talking about the number one and the number two catchers for most games caught in MLB history to be both Puerto Rican players. And that would just be an awesome sight to see. Yadier Molina just keeps adding to a Hall of Fame career. And I know that people have their opinions on rankings and things like that. Personally, he's in my personal top five for catchers all time. And also, if we're going to be on the watch for something, in the first 10 games of this season, Yadier Molina is hitting 353. So don't let Yadi come out here and add an MVP to his Hall of Fame case already because I will be out here just ranting nonstop. There you go, man. So shut shut Rob up. Don't let don't let uh, Yadi do it. Somebody go to his, uh, I don't know, his place of residence, just lock him in, in his house so this doesn't happen. I'm just kidding. That's illegal. You will go to prison and nobody can help you because that is literally like kidnapping in some kind of weird way. But anyway, look, what I'm looking for is a return of Fernando Tatis Jr. As of right now, he's scheduled to come back Friday. So if he does come back, he'll be back for that LA Dodger uh, crazy series between them and the Padres. So hopefully there's no setbacks and he comes back full strength and they're not rushing him, which is a big, which is a big part. And yeah, man, but that, that, that's all for us, man. Congrats, Yachty. You got, you, you're, you're a legend, my dude. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Diamond Talk. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to hit us up at diamondtalkpodcast at gmail.com. That's diamondtalkpodcast at gmail.com. To catch up on our old episodes, or if you want to check out the rest of the awesome pods that we have under the SSAW network, head to our website at tssaw.com. Do not forget to subscribe. See you all next week, and we'll catch you on the field.